This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. And we're back again this week because we talked too much last week and had some stuff left over that we want to talk about <laughs> this week. And I blame my co-host Dave for that, of course. Oh, well, we all know that uh, much like um, cold pizza the next day, uh, reheated leftovers or even just leftovers as a whole as or are always very, very tasty. So, Except coffee. Don't microwave cold coffee. Oh, God. Tried no. that. But actually, cold coffee, well, I at least quite enjoy cold coffee. But anyway, that's just me. So uh, where we were talking about is why on earth people would be adopting open source technologies. And we went through a couple of the top reasons. But as we said when we started talking about this, like there's quite an even distribution of somewhere around... 30 to 37 or 38 percent of people um you know respond that these these things are most important to them and it's it's quite a broad range of things that people rate pretty highly as being important to them and we we covered some of them on the previous episode but i think there's a few more that are worth talking about so let's get into it um this one i find quite interesting i know that when we were initially talking about this this was something that was we had very different uh views on but the one of the the sort of things that are flagged as a reason to uh adopt open source is 32 percent of folks said the ability to contribute to and influence direction of open source projects um, now I find I find this one interesting because my my experiences generally are that most uh, enterprises that consume open source based software are more on the influencing direction of and significantly less towards the um, kind of openly contributing back to open source. Not to say that it doesn't happen. Um, but I think general mainstream is more about having some sort of some sort of relationship either with a, a strong vendor or with the open source community so that you can influence its direction rather than contributing back to. But I seem to remember you had quite a different perspective on this. Um, yeah, for me, the score is quite high in its uh, entirety. Now, again, if you haven't listened to past uh, episodes, this is a little bit of a bias survey. They have asked people that are using open source and how they're using open source. So we're not talking mm -hmm. about people that are new to the open source. They're already in there. And of course, in that subgroup, yes, if you are an open source based company or a company based on open source technologies, you should have that mindset of contributing back, being influences of and so on. But um, I still think it's a lot. Mm. Now, for the contribute to versus influence to, it kind of depends on where you're looking at it, from what point you're looking at it. And if you look at us two, we should have a different view on it because, I mean, refresh me. Did you say that the contribute to is for you the, the, mo the better reason or the influence is the better reason? You said influence, right? I didn't, not necessarily better reason, I, but I would say more, more common reason yeah. to adopt open source at, at an enterprise the is yeah. is in my experience has been to be able to influence the direction of rather than yeah. to contribute back to but i think that's your manager view 
Uh, as a, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that's an insult, even though it is. Uh, it's just that you look at this stuff from either a, I do stuff with this, or my environment needs this stuff to work better or whatever. And if you're a developer, you won't be looking at that top level that much. You're more looking at, okay, if I'm going to use this library and I'm able to submit my patches back to it, it'll actually make my job easier and I'll be able to use the synergy of the whole open source thing. If you're on a more of a managerial, more top level way of looking at this, you won't probably be contributing. I mean, you are the world's best developer, you always say, but I don't think you contribute mm -hmm. that much code, but you are looking more at, okay, how can you put these things together? So it's a different way of looking at it. Now, both of them, I think, are actually e equally important. Yeah. I, so I think the, the challenge that I have is uh, with, with kind of your perspective is that I know of so many organizations that are whose developers and engineers are actively prevented from contributing back to open source projects due to um, the way that that organization um, like very, very carefully protects its IP and its its employees' contributions back to open source. Um, it's, it's become... It's getting better, right? It, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's become less of a problem, I would say, in the last three or four years, but it is still more prevalent than I would like. Um, and I, I think it is still a something that, that people um, you know, do have challenges with. Like you see people, for example, people that have relationships with uh, a vendor, it's not uh, unusual at all for um, at least half of those quote unquote support cases being developers sharing code snippets of, hey, this is, uh, I've, I've discovered this issue and you know, here's, here's a potential fix to that issue. Um, they can't contribute back to the open source project, but they can share information on a support case, for example. Like those are the kinds of differentiations that you do actually see in, in organizations. Now, I, I agree. I think it is, the world is definitely changing and people are getting, organizations are getting far more friendly towards hmm. that level of interaction. But I still think that there's a lot of organizations out there that frankly don't get it still and, and a, 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 a sort of still on the uh, the side of things where it's more problematic than it should be. Yeah, but also don't paint too rosy a picture because it's all, how do you call that, enlightened self-interest, right? Because I think you're right that a lot of organizations start using open source with the hope of being able to influence the direction of, but the main way to influence a project is by contributing to it. Yeah, So. Absolutely. The, in the back years, a lot of people wanted influence. They felt they couldn't get that influence. How can I get, you, how you need to contribute to the, oh, hey, developers, from now on, you're allowed to contribute back because we want to yeah. actually have influence. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's a nice self-regulating system that way. It's beautiful mm. how it works. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's not because of these new CIO types have gotten enlightenment and now see everything through the sharing classes. It's again, <laughs> but again, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Last time, hey, I, I want to get paid too at the end of the month. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do yeah. think it's high up, but that's again because of the bias of the, the survey. We are talking with uh, open source things. And if you also looked at the beginning of this, of the 
a survey document, they do list the job titles of the people that responded. Yeah. And the top ones are things like uh, embedded system developers, uh, backend developers, and also product project managers and product managers. So th yeah. those are uh, low down making things kind of people. Even the project manager is there to make something and less of a uh, pie in the sky idea. Yeah. Person. I mean, the to continue the, the 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 journey through some of this, like the we, the next one at thirty one percent is actually to modernize a technology stack, and I find this you know the 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 answers here uh, are, are kind of interesting because they they in my mind the pendulum swings, you know, back back and forth between things that are about um, kind of advancements and cutting edge and um, doing things better and things that are more about sort of stability and, and, and legacy and influence and things like that. And, and to me, when I started thinking about this, I was thinking that this was um, one of those topics that's more about the the legacy and and that sort of things, but actually, kind of as, as it's going around in my brain, I'm I'm realizing that actually, this is this is more about the innovation. This is this is one of those topics that's more about kind of taking something that you've got already and accelerating its its development. Yeah, but for me, the important word there is stack to modernize the open the, the modernize the technology stack. Mm -hmm. The thing with closed source solutions is that they don't interoperate. Because why would they? Yeah. The more they interoperate, the, the, the smaller their market share becomes because they can't own the whole pie anymore. Open source has always been based on microkernel architectures where I do my little bit, you do, do, do a little bit, we have this little glue stuff in between, and we build something with all of these things, and the sum of the whole becomes more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Being able to introduce open source to do that allows you to actually have a modern stack where incremental things can change along the way without having to have these monolithical forklift upgrade kind of things. So that's where it comes from for me, because if you just look at modernizing technology in its mm -hmm. own, a lot of closed source software is using open source stuff to make their technology also more modern. I mean, just look at the machine learning stuff. That's pervaded everywhere now both in open mm. source and closed source i mean you can buy the most expensive uh, database products it will have a bunch of machine learning in there that's coming from open source so there i don't see that much differentiation at that point anymore open source and closed source have both learned we need to innovate quickly and closed source yep. has adopted it and just call it stealing call it using it's open source it's open source collaboration <laughs> but the stack thing for me that's something that closed source has a big problem with and I think one of the beautiful examples, and I'm not saying the company is beautiful, but if you look at uh, Microsoft Azure, and I work there so I know more from inside, that's why I talk more about Azure than the rest, still because I think it's the best, and there is no best, they all have their <laughs> demerits and stuff like that, that was a disclaimer, but if you looked at the Azure thing, it only started working well when one day kind of dropped their closed source attitude. The moment mm. Microsoft said, we love Linux, and I still have a little penguin in my desktop case here holding up the graphics card <laughs> with the all of, all of the Linux thing on it. Uh, but 
Satya Nadella at that point we saw that if we keep this closed source thing, we will lose out against exactly this, these technology stack. We will always be behind Google and then Amazon because they have all this open source. They can have this uh, blanket of different things working together with each other. We need to have that too. And that, if they hadn't done that, I think Azure would be dead by now. Yeah. Or it would be yeah. maybe the same size as Oracle Cloud. Yeah, which is basically dead. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Anyway, moving on. Um, the next reason that gets mentioned here is, um, and again, like we're we're moving down the stack now. We're down to like twenty six percent of of people mentioned this, um, being community oriented and transparent. Are you skipping the vendor lock in one? Uh, no, not intentionally. Um, no, you're right. I have, although. I had a quick comment on that one. I mean, the, the next one is to reduce vendor lock-in with 26% mm. someplace. And true, open source does reduce vendor lock-in. However, it does introduce technology lock-in sometimes. Because once yep. you've gone a certain path, you, it's always hard to move away. And to be honest, vendor lock-in basically is technology lock-in because you don't care who's signing the, uh, the invoices they send you. You bought this piece of software and you're going to use that. But with closed source, you have to get it from that single vendor with open source. Well, yeah, you can download whatever you want, but you're still dependent on the project lead, whatever the, the, the yep. core type project group community or the company behind be. the open source project. So does it actually work? And I've always had a problem in my life that vendor lock-in, yes, it can be abused, but there's a lot of anti-monopoly laws in the world these days. So things like that mm. have less of an effect today than in the eighties, let's say, but vendor lock-in doesn't need to be a bad thing. It can be a bad thing, but it mm. doesn't have to be a bad thing. So putting this, this high up as a reason to go to open source, while in the end you're still kind of, I mean, look at the clouds, we're going multi-cloud. We're no longer dependent on the cloud. Yes. But this thing is always going to run in that cloud because that's where you built it. And it's not easy to take. I think the, the important thing that with this one is that um, they are they are specifically talking about vendor lock in, and I, I can I completely agree with you in that um, when you make a technology decision, like you commit to that technology decision. Now, you don't necessarily commit to to, uh, to having a vendor approach. If you want support like you for could, it, yeah, like if you want support for it, or if you want to take advantage of that vendor's extra super duper bonus features that they add to their enterprise offering, then great, go for it. But the the underlying technology, you get to make that choice of, you know, do I want to engage with those super duper features uh, that uh, maybe you need, maybe you don't, um, or do you want to just continue to use the, the open source variant? And it's, you're right, it doesn't change the fact that you've selected a technology, but frankly, like you need to do, you need to select technology to do anything. Like you can't just, you know, this stuff doesn't just magic itself out of nowhere. So it's the, you know, lock-in I think is um, the most negative way perhaps of putting it. But realistically, when you commit to something, like you are committed to it in some way, shape or form. You should be. I mean, you shouldn't change technology stack every five yeah. months. That's going to kill your yeah. company. But maybe then if I, if I rephrase it to more choice in how much of a vendor lock-in you are happy with. Yes. Yeah. That that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, all right. So now now that we've uh, we've covered the one that I'd accidentally skipped. Thank you, Jan. 
Um, Community-oriented and transparent, like we're, we're dropping down the list here now, we're down to 26% from 28%. And this doesn't terribly surprise me that it's that this is lower. Um, I I would like to think that the that the transparency part of this would be perhaps more valuable than the community oriented part of it. But um, well, you can see them similar, right? I mean, community mm -hmm. orientation means that you are transparent what you're doing to your community. So I see it as saying the same thing twice. Maybe, maybe. Although you can have something that's community oriented and depending on how open or closed that community is, depends on how much transparency that exposes to the the wider um, uh, the wider true, organization. But it's always transparency towards your community. And if you're not in the open source community and for the first time in your life you go to GitHub, I don't think you will find that transparent. You will see it as a very mystical obfuscation of where's the documentation? I have to read this code, for example. So mm -hmm. it's always towards the community. But for me, I'm surprised it's so low down. I would have expected this one at the top. Yeah, I, I think again, while we're when when you're talking about um, about the the kind of people that were surveyed, I think that's Still. why this is. Still. further down than maybe you, you might expect is my am I, am I in too much of a hippie mindset still <laughs> maybe maybe but if you want to talk real hippie mindset then you really you want to be talking about the next one which is uh, no license cost overall cost reduction um oh, I, this one. is one i'm glad that this is um further on down in the list because that is also something that makes sense to me like you don't you shouldn't just adopt open source because it's quote unquote free. Um, because if you if you are adopting it for that reason, you're basically you're probably adopting it for the wrong reasons. Like the adopting an open source based solution may well end up in the short term being more expensive even because you're potentially having to cross train a bunch of people or hire a bunch of people that you don't have you know, you don't have, because you don't have the skills or knowledge in-house already, you know, the, the short term could be, could be more expensive for you. I would even say it's always going to be more expensive from the beginning to the end until the bitter end. Because as you said, yes, when you're adopting it, you'll have to train, change things. So any kind of migration is expensive. But if you're doing this for the right reasons, it will grow your business meaning you'll have to expand your server farm and put more software and more people on it. So it should cost you more. If it doesn't cost you more, you're doing it wrong. No, it should also mean that your revenue uh, goes up faster than your costs go. So your margins mm -hmm. should increase. So I would have liked it to be more of a better margin would be a better way of looking at it. Let's use open source to have a better margin because we do more with the same thing by having intelligence yeah. in-house and things like that. Then I would like it. Now, in this case, yes, uh, I'm still surprised it's in here in the first place because basically no license cost does not automatically lead to overall cost reductions, correlation, yep. causation, things like that. And the fact that this is still 25%, so one in four people mark this on their page, Yep. Um, this is actually them deluding themselves 
going yeah. for this from the bookkeeping point of view of we need to cut cut, cut costs hard to say uh so let's go to open source that's such a short-sighted way of doing it yep agreed agreed um and then next one open standards and interoperability <laughs> shall i shall i get the uh, other <laughs> <coughs> well i i don't I'm, I'm kind of torn on this one because on the other hand um i do i do like the fact that like so some of the other ones were so much around um sort of cutting edge and moving things forward but I would have hoped to have seen open standards and interoperability at least up in the sort of 30 plus percent range as some of the other things that people valued the most. And if you talk to kind of buyers and, and users, um, then very often like you'll see a, uh, or you'll, you'll hear a, that people think that open standards are important and have become more and more important over time. It's certainly a trend that I have seen. But standards are only kind of uh, important if they're widely adopted. And uh, for those of you watching alongside uh, with the watching YouTube, you will see that Yon uh, uh, has, has brought up the ever so popular and ever so well-known XKCD927 uh, which is, uh, there are 14 competing standards. Uh, we should have one universal standard that covers everyone's use cases, and then there are 15 competing standards. And like that's unfortunately sad but true, but there are some areas where perhaps that, uh, that 15th standard has become the most dominant standard. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's also done a lot for, uh, a lot for things. Like one of the standards that, you know, I, for example, am very aware of at the moment, or one of the emerging standards is, you know, things around uh, open telemetry in the observability space, for example. Is it perfect? No. Are there, you know, is there a lot of uh, work still to be done? Absolutely yes. But customers, prospects, and vendors alike can absolutely see the benefits of uh, aligning against it and it's, uh, or aligning around it. And especially um, customers and prospects, they can see a huge uh, potential for this. And this, you know, some of it does come back to the previous conversation we had around reducing vendor lock-in for them. Now, how practical this actually is in the longer term, I think everyone is still figuring out what that might look like. But in terms of a, an overall course trajectory and direction, it's, it is something that people really care about. And I don't know, I find it a little bit curious that this is down here so low well surprise surprise i'll be the uh, negative uh, <laughs> viewer of this topic and when i read this one um, it's starting to happen more and more even that standards are being used to compete against each other mm. that competing standards are being generated specifically to kind of i don't know 
put a competitor to a sideline, making not operable. And if you're the most popular boy on the block, then well, you want to play with me, you have to play my language. The other ones, it gets hard to innovate. Now, when I say this, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm, I'm actually uh, defending Apple's stance of using Lightning connectors in favor of USB-C, which I personally hate. Not USB-C, the fact that Apple still <laughs> was still pushing mm -hmm. Firewire, uh, the, the Lightning connector, because yes, open standards should work. But Apple always said, yes, but it's going to limit our innovation if we have to um, use standards that are not our own because then, yes, you have to kind of compromise some things you might have been able to do, but because you have to be part of that standard or you want to be part of that standard, you might have not have to do it the way you want to do it or do it differently or whatever. So open standards do have their advantages and interoperability is definitely one of them. And an important one, because we, we spoke earlier about the fact how open source is better because you have these like of microcosms of things working together. That only works if you have an, an inter interoperability post potential based on probably on open standards. But there is a way of going too far in there. And open telemetry is a good example. Yep, doing stuff right. They're not very restrictive. They're very open. You can add stuff to that. It's an expandable standard. Those are good. But in the security space, there have been a couple of uh, standards being uh, positioned by, on the one hand, open source projects, and the other hand, behemoths like Amazon. Mm. And the latter, I'm not going to specific, go into much detail here, but they specifically put stuff in there to make their standard incompatible with the other one. Now, yep. because they have this, I mean, you can call Amazon open source company if you want, uh, <laughs> but they definitely have a lot of power and they are using standards and interoperability, just this thing as a way of, yeah, kind of blocking open source things. People have been weaponizing standards for as long as there have been standards. Like it, this is sadly, like this is a, a story as, as old as time. Like it's, it's the, the darker sides to the XKCD type approach where someone like starts to force a standard because they, they don't like what's out there and they want to, you know, they want to monopolize uh, things through through the standards wars. I, mean, I this is, unfortunately, this is the, in my mind at least, this is the flip side of it. And I don't think we'll see that going away anytime soon. And all we can do is contribute towards the standards that we think are useful, are um, beneficial, and are frankly healthy and, and better for us to rally around and, you know, try and steer clear as much as we can from the standards that we think are toxic or controlling or you know that sort of thing and there's only so much that any one individual or organization can do about this like frankly it needs the the whole industry to to rally around these kind of things and you know the, all we can hope is that people will make the right choices yeah for me just to end this one is uh, open standards fine but i'm much more looking for open apis if there's an mm -hmm. api that i can freely use and access the thing I can build my connectors, I can do whatever I want. And if I have solution A with an open API, solution B with an open API, I could even use a standard interoperability layer to make it all talk together. So there's layers in this conversation, I think. Is it the reason yep. for me to evaluate open source higher than open and closed source? Um, because of the dangers also in there, I'm kind of happy it's low down here. I'm kind of happy it's not one of the top ones. Fair enough, fair enough, right. Well, as always, uh, we've gone a little bit longer than expected and we will, uh, we've got more that we can talk about. So I think we should probably wrap things up there. 
put a bow on it. All right. Well, that is then all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. Uh, helps us to continue to popularize uh, XKCD, not that they need any help from us. We are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, do all the YouTube things. Go to roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at roaringelephant tag. Send your feedback via email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is just one more standard. That will be the best one. Dave? And my name is is Darwinian Evolution. Fender locking or not? Jon? And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.